meaning is something very natural in all of our lives. And it's not something so big we cannot talk about, you know, it's something like happiness. We can also talk about happiness, yeah? On the other hand, meaning is too complex to put it into one sentence. The structure of the question, what is the meaning of life, is like in singular. It sounds like the answer should have the structure, the meaning of life is, <laughs> you know, but it's not like that because we all experience different types of meaning in our lives and we all have different sources of meaning in our lives. A few updates. We have a few free events coming up where our fellows share their learning, including one on preparing for your children starting school in September and also another one on returning successfully from maternity or shared parental leave for people working in the NHS. To get all the info, you can sign up to leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter or look on the website. I'm also thrilled to say that applications for our NHS Foundation Fellowship have just opened. I'll give you a bit of a flavor of what the last year's fellows said. One of them said, I think the impact has been profound. Without realizing, I find myself having the confidence to engage in discussions and conversations I would have shied away from before. I don't feel afraid to be honest that I'm a mother anymore. Another one said, the impact of the Leaders Plus NHS Foundation Fellowship has been significant and transformative. It has provided me with a unique opportunity to connect with like-minded professionals facing similar challenges as working parents in the healthcare sector. Another one said, by providing practical strategies and support for work-life integration, the program has helped me strike a better balance between my professional and personal responsibilities. One significant impact is that it has enhanced my ability to set boundaries and manage my time effectively. And the, I guess the thing that made me happiest is that two people mentioned the word life-changing in the end of program evaluation, which is really positive, as well as quite a few promotions and so on. So anyways, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked because I got really excited about the impact survey. If you want to apply, the deadline is 11th July and we have 40 spaces available. Today I'm talking to Christian Ule about the meaning of life, how to increase the meaning in your life, in your work, why so many jobs are not full of meaning and what to do about it. Enjoy the conversation. Yeah, so I'm a philosopher, a German philosopher, I live in Berlin and like for so many other people, also for me, like the people like in my in my closer surrounding, like my friends and family, what is a really important source of meaning for me and for my life. Animals, I do not really have an animal, <laughs> but I'm happy to be surrounded with a lot of friends. And the good thing about Berlin is that so many people are moving there, so when I started living there, I was actually the only one that I knew personally, but then also a bunch of older friends moved there. And so I'm happy to be surrounded also by people whom I know for a long time. Mm, very interesting. I have to say, we obviously don't record this on video, but you don't fit the stereotype of a philosopher, which in my mind, and I Obviously, this outs me as someone who has very bad stereotypes, <laughs> but, you know, you imagine the, the white beard and the long, long hair or something like that. And I guess you are living in the one of the coolest cities in Europe and 
I imagine, well, we'll put a picture up, but you definitely do not look like that. <laughs> so, but to tell me, how does someone like you start even thinking about becoming a philosopher? How do you become a philosopher? Mm -hmm. So I do think that started really early. So when I came into puberty, like when I was around 15, people started calling me the thinker because I really liked going on a field and think about the big subjects like truth or love or death and everything. And I wasn't reading so much, actually. For me, it was more about discovering it myself. And that was very exciting. And it was like every time I had a new insight, it was like opening up a new word or was like discovering a new country. I wasn't a particularly introverted person. I was also really interested in all the other things like meeting girls and so on. But they kind of got along and there was so much to discover like in the world around me and there was so much to discover inside and both made me really curious. But then I was quite hesitant to actually study philosophy because of what I said, because I really like discovering thoughts myself. But I also realized that we are limited beings and when we are left on our own devices, we will not come very far. And that also for me and for my thought process and my growth process, it would be good to actually study it. And so I did that. But I also got into a little crisis with academic philosophy later on, like during my master's degree, when I mixed up academic philosophy with philosophy itself, because I do think that at university, often, not always, but often, prejudices like the ivory tower, and that it doesn't have to do a lot with our everyday life are justified. I did experience that a lot. But I had to kind of, it was like a renaissance when I started writing my book about the meaning of life to remember what really brought me to philosophy and what this passion is about. And it's about thinking for myself. It's like developing philosophy. It's about philosophizing and not about kind of seeing it as a science where you just like study who said what where. So I think being a philosopher is mainly about taking time. It's about taking time for the questions that arise in all of our lives. It's like, is it just that some people earn more than others, for example, you know? When is it justified to lie? Yeah, these are questions like we will all sometimes think about it. But like, are you sticking with the questions for five minutes when you're like in a pub after like a couple of beers and then you move on to another subject and you talk about sports? Or do you stick with that question for like two hours, three hours, maybe a year, you know? And that I think is what philosophy is about, taking time for questions that really matter. Mm. And to me as a working parent, it's literally always rushing. I think I even messaged you before this and say can we just start 15 minutes later so I can <laughs> quickly have something to eat and I think that's why it's so refreshing to think about the idea of thinking well spending time to think deep about one thing only but do you have to be and this is a leading question I'm hoping you're gonna say no but do you have to be a single person without lots of basically can someone like me be a philosopher <laughs> who has lots to do what do you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, also, it's a gradual concept. No, it's not like a yes and no concept, like either you're a philosopher or you're not. It's like to a certain degree, I think we can all be philosophers. 
But yeah, it is about like priorities. I mean, I am, I'm very happy that I can live from being a philosopher and I could do so actually from the very start. Like I would have never imagined that. It was never like my concept to be a philosopher as a profession, like a free philosopher, because I wouldn't have thought that it would be able to earn your living from it. But like then I started doing it and then it worked actually quite quickly with like talks and writing and, and different things. But of course we are all, it's a lot about like also prioritizing things, you know, and thinking like what is more important to me like at this particular point of time, like is it more about, it's not, I don't have a lot of security, for example, that is part of the deal, you know, and you have to be, yeah, it's part of the deal. So mm. I do think it's also about priorities. Mm, it is true. I mean, I'm not aiming, I really admire what you're doing. I'm not aiming to do anything like that, but there's such a richness in spending time to think. Mm -hmm. We sometimes force parents to just spend 15 minutes to think out loud about their own thoughts on a question. And it's really interesting how quickly you get quite deep if you just think. But let's talk about the meaning of life and your book. You wrote in the book that it's actually not a very trendy thing for philosophers to talk about the meaning of life. In fact, some philosophers even look down on people who look at the meaning of life. Mm -hmm. What made you get into it and spend years of your life on trying to figure it out? Was it a little bit like what I said? I never planned to be a professional philosopher, but then I somehow ended up being it. And so initially I didn't plan to write a book. I planned to write an essay. And this essay got longer and longer. And at some point I realized, oh, this will be a book. If I want to pursue this, then it will be a book. And I got intrigued more and more by the topic because I think it's very interesting and multi-layered. On the one hand, the question about what is the meaning of life and what gives meaning to our lives? Why are we here? What does really matter? These are among the oldest questions of humanity that we know of. So like in the earliest writings that we have access to, we can already see these questions that people were wondering about them. So it's a very, very timeless topic on the one hand, but at the same time, it's a very contemporary topic because it seems like never before this topic was so pressing for so many people. And I think this is interesting. And we also have like the big cosmological layer of the question, you know, like that everything is ephemeral and that we all have to die and like the cosmos and this layer. But at the same time, we have a very down to earth layer because most of the questions don't really, most of the people don't really wonder about meaning in life when they look into the stars, but rather when they go to work. You know, and that is what makes this question so interesting for me. It's a philosophical question, but also a sociological question that is connected to our society. You know, what are the structures why so many people have trouble with finding meaning in their life? That's a societal question. It's also a psychological mm. question because it's connected to deep desires that we have, you know, and human needs, basic needs that we have to experience something that we can call meaning. It's timeless, but it's also contemporary and blah, blah, blah. And that is what makes it really, it's like a little crystal and you can look at it in the sunlight and you always see new elements in it and look at it from different sides. And that is what basically drove me to work on this book for nearly seven years, which it's a long time. It was like a big, big, big project. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, and I have, I have read it and I can highly recommend it. 
I really enjoyed it. I was just struck. I think even, I can't remember the exact stat. It was now a while since I have read it. But was was it about a third of people in Germany say that they go to work, but there's absolutely no purpose mm-hmm. in what they do? Yeah, but it looks similar in UK. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so exactly. And I can really relate to this because I sometimes do work with working parents who obviously progress quite far, quite quickly up the career ladder, and then maybe get used to a job that pays them quite well and obviously then you have children children are very expensive and the uk childcare costs are unbelievably horrendous and then they get stuck in jobs that maybe don't give them that meaning why is that happening why do those jobs even exist if there's no purpose and how come we end up in them i think the first point about this is to realize that it's a structural phenomenon like what you said in the very beginning that is around one third of the working population who thinks that what they do every day from monday to friday week after week year after year has no point to it there's no point beyond earning your own living and this i think is important because sometimes when we are in such a situation we may question ourselves you know we may look at it because there's also a lot of this mindset coaching out there and i think often it is important to work on your mindset like of course i don't want to say it's irrelevant you know but the point is to understand also what is not our own fault our individual fault but where are we part of structures that don't really allow us to see meaning in what we're doing and there is not one answer to the question why is that such a structural phenomenon there are different reasons so one reason is that more and more jobs are computer jobs and that per se is nothing bad not everyone who works on the computer has like a big crisis but it's one element that meaning also has to do with feeling the word you know we do have a body and through our body we can form a connection to the word we can feel the word in a way and we can be connected in a way that is missing when we are in a moment of crisis you know when we have a lack of meaning so our relationship to colleagues to customers to the product to the whole process can get more abstract when we are in a system with a high degree of division of labor and we're working on the computer you know it's more abstract than when you have like a piece of bread in front of you and you're like forming this bread with your own hands and you put it mm-hmm. in the oven you put it out of the oven you see the result you know and then you sell it to the customer and so on you know so that is one element another element is that we had a huge technological progress let's say in the last 200 years so since the industrial revolution and production processes got more and more efficient that means we need less people in certain areas but still we don't have like a mass unemployment so what happened i think because if you think about it in an isolated way you know there was an essay by john maynard keynes a very famous economist from 1930 economic possibilities for our grandchildren where he describes a world that he sees basically now now in this year where we are living where people only work like 3 hours a day and we have these visions 
We see those visions over and over again. John Stuart Mill, John Maynard Keynes, Karl Marx, they all have this vision that through technological progress, we need to work less and less and less. And we will have more and more time for what really matters in life. We will have more time for our family and friends to be politically engaged, to read books, to contemplate and to be better humans, basically. That was the vision, even of John Stuart Mill, who we see like as a liberal and as one of the thinkers of capitalism, you know. So another point is that this progress that we basically build a larger amount of like surplus of like writing emails, of organizing ourselves, of having a larger part of office jobs and like everything that is connected to it, you know, we got more efficient on one layer and then we got maybe less efficient on another layer. So we're like producing more things around it, you know, and more tasks and more to-dos in a way and to a degree that people like Mill, Keynes or Marx would have never thought of and never dreamt of, you know. So that is another element. There's a really good book called Bullshit Jobs by David Graeber, who died recently, unfortunately, who was a professor at the LSE, I think. And it was an influential book where he analyzes the different types of bullshit jobs and how they could emerge. Like, I want to give one other example for such a dynamic, how can this occur, is like, a manager looks more important if the person has more people to manage. So like a person who's like, is a manager and has like, manages a team of 60 people, we think is more important than a manager who manages a team of five people. And this gives an incentive to actually have a large team. And this can also be an incentive to keep a large team, even if there's not enough work for everyone to do. Rather, we try to keep the large team and invent jobs and to-dos and like something to do for them. So what we have is we have incentive structures that lead to the creation of jobs. And like the creation of jobs sometimes seems to be more important than the creation of meaningful jobs. That is number A. Number B, we have more and more computer jobs, which make it a little bit more abstract, like the relationship to what you're actually doing. And many, many other mm. factors too. I think we're also at a point of societal progress, like in the Western countries, where of course we have a lot of poor people who don't have enough things. But as on a macro level, we have so much, you know, and we let growth to a point where sometimes the point about more and more is not really visible. You know, but still we have structures mm. that kind of require us to grow and to produce more. I do think that it is important to look into possibilities of a post-growth society that doesn't necessarily shrink, but that becomes a little bit less dependent on growth. You know, that's like two things. And mm. I think the latter is what would be important to look into that. You know, how can we be a little bit less dependent on it so we can grow but we don't have to it's also okay if we don't you know mm. i hope that was clear there was like a lot of points and yeah i hope i didn't make it too messy <laughs> <laughs> well i guess you know the meaning of life maybe is not 100 straightforward so i think it's really interesting to hear you reflect and so many questions are coming to my mind mm. one thing i'm quite curious about is if you are in this situation where you are in a job that is like a hamster wheel, you're doing a lot, you're growing, you're pushing maybe for bigger and bigger numbers, which you used to enjoy, but now 
you just can't see the point anymore and you're perpetually exhausted. I'm, I'm not meaning to paint in a bad picture. I'm sure a lot of people are enjoying these jobs, but let's say you've lost the meaning and you always know when you've lost the meaning, isn't it? You, it's not, it's one thing that you have really in your gut feeling. It's very clear if you have the meaning or not, right? So if you know that, does it matter? Like, is there a reason why you should try to find the meaning of life? Or is it okay to just go and have a nice party in a pub and try to have a line on a Sunday? No, if you're happy with doing that, then I think that's totally fine. I think we have three strands in philosophy of like how we can answer to the question, how should I live? You know, and how should I live? This big question, we can answer like referring to the good life that is like live in the way that's good for you. It's about happiness and pleasure and all these things. And then we have meaning, which basically says like live in a way that matters, you know, do something that really matters, you know. And then we have morality, which says like don't do anything like killing other people, don't do anything you're not allowed to do and instead do what you have to do, you know. And these are three different dimensions of how we should live, basically, or how we can approach this question. So if we say you have to live a meaningful life, then we would like mix that up, you know? It would be mixing up morality and meaning. It's like the same, like you have to be happy. You don't have to be happy. You don't have to have a happy life. If you, <laughs> you know, it's not a moral duty. What you have to do is not kill other people. That's something you have to do, you know? But happiness is not something you have to do. And so is like, yeah, doing something particularly meaningful is not a duty, you know? Mm. But for many people, we do see we do see a connection between... So happiness and meaning is not the same thing. And actually, it is a quite well-researched phenomenon that when you have small children in the beginning, that children statistically lower the happiness of the parents. So I want to stress statistically, because let's pause here for a second and let's be aware of what it means. It just means that if you have a thousand people who become parents, that among the thousand people, you know, maybe 400 will be happier than before and 600 will be less happy than before, okay? So it means that, of course, some people will be happier through their children. But all in all, in the big picture, statistically, in general, people will be less happy, okay? And that is interesting because it's against the myth that, like, children are the biggest happiness in our lives. And at the same time, we also do see that the perceived meaning in life increases, so this is an example where happiness and meaning diverge. And when we think about it, it kind of makes sense. Because especially in the beginning, you have like a small being in front of you, and it's all about the needs of this being and not about your own needs. You know, you have to cater to the needs. You have to kind of secure the survival of this young being. So it's not really about your happiness in this moment. So it all kind of makes sense that your happiness gets a little bit pushed into the background, you know. And also with jobs, if you are working in a field and yet if you have a job where you see a lot of meaning in it and you think it's really important what I do, because maybe I don't know what, like I'm rescuing people every day, for example, then this can give you reasons to work until you have a burnout. It can give you a reason to do something that is not good for you because you say like, 
I know I'm really stressed. I know I don't have capacities. I know I'm underpaid, but it doesn't matter because what really matters is what I'm doing here and is the impact of my work, you know? So you have a similar logic, like in the ch children case, you know, you have a similar logic. Mm. So meaning and happiness, they can stand in conflict with each other, but in general, and in most of the cases, they don't stand in conflict. In most of the cases, what gives meaning to our lives is also source of fulfillment, and will make us more happy in the long run. So coming back to your initial question, if there's a person who actually sees no meaning in her or his life, but is happy to just be drunk, that's totally fine. But if we just look at it empirically, this will probably not last for a very long time. And there will most likely be a lack of a deeper fulfillment in the long run. Hmm, interesting. And so I know this is not a self-help podcast mm -hmm. and I'm quite, well, I do, I think meaning fluctuates, but often I do have a sense of meaning. But you talk about the different identities and how meaning is connected to an identity. And I find that that resonates with me because I have this, you know, I'm, I feel like if I have one of those rare days where I think like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm fulfilling my purpose of being good to my children that's quite good but then also I have a big purpose with I've really I want to change the world for want of a better world with the social enterprise but that's really there's a lot of tension in, in that as well yeah but I think it like I would like to connect two things of what you said now and your previous question what if there's a person who doesn't see meaning and now your connection to identity so first of all I think it is important to understand that the question, what is the meaning of life, is misleading. Is misleading in two ways. Like, first of all, it seems to be like the biggest question you could ever ask a person, you know? It's like, what is the meaning of life? Wow. Oh my God. How can you even say anything about the subject? Isn't it too big, too crazy? Isn't it the question of all questions, you know? That is like one impression that we sometimes have connected to the question. And another one is, then people ask me, okay, so tell me in one sentence, what is the meaning of life? You know, and like first you, you thought it was too big to even say anything about it. And now you want me to answer it in one question, you know, but like, this is very interesting. But I think both impressions we have to get rid of. Meaning is something very natural in all of our lives. And it's not something so big we cannot talk about, you know, it's something like happiness. We can also talk about happiness, yeah? On the other hand, meaning is too complex to put it into one sentence. The structure of the question, what is the meaning of life, is like in singular. It sounds like the answer should have the structure, the meaning of life is, <laughs> you know, but it's not like that because we all experience different types of meaning in our lives and we all have different sources of meaning in our lives. No person has no meaning at all. You know, we always will have some forms of meaning and some sources of meaning, you know, but sometimes we can have a lack in a certain area and we can have a lack of a certain type of meaning, for example, but it's a multifaceted phenomenon in our lives, you know, because also the question itself is a complex question. If we think about like, when does this question arise? When do people ask this question? And what do people lack when they lack meaning? Then this always has different layers, you know, one layer is orientation, maybe. 
a lack of orientation, like what is it really worth striving for, you know? What really deserves my love and attention and my passion and my energy? This can be one facet of the question. Another one can be the deep desire to find peace in the world, you know? Maybe you lost someone in your life. It's not so much about orientation in the sense of what should I do, you know, what should be like the northern star of all my effort and energy. It's more about how can I find peace in a world that allows this to happen? And that's like another layer of the question. So we can dive into one of the layers now. And the layer is like the identity layer. And it's not the point about meaning, but it's one of the layers And I do think that in this layer, it gets, we do have structures today which sometimes make it difficult to perceive meaning and to find our role because we are confronted with kind of paradoxical expectations, like societal expectations. And when we internalize them, when we integrate them into our own voices that are in our heads and they say, you should do this, you should do this, but they're kind of paradoxical and they point into different directions, then it makes it more difficult for us to actually find our role. Mm. I think that is so true. And something I hear from quite a lot of parents who are in my space or who are listening to this podcast is that There are huge expectations of, especially mothers, of what type of mother you should be. And ideally one that takes their child to 110 activities and cooks home-cooked carrot mm. mush every day rather than buying the ready-made stuff with chemicals in it. And that it does create real tension and massive conflict because there's this meaning, I don't know if it's a meaning, but anyways, there's this expectation exposed from outside linked to what a mother should be and then there's the, the desire that they have about having a meaningful career and a career where you have decision making where you can shape the world and then obviously the whole ex you also want to be a good mother um have you got any perspective of how to navigate that i know you're going to say it's not an easy answer and it's you know you could probably write another book on it but yeah i'm, I'm interested in your perspective i think the starting point is to understand that it's not your personal problem and your in the moments where you feel like you can't really navigate through these different expectations that's not your personal flaw but to understand that it's very much a structural phenomenon i think this is like the starting point and like it's really but it matters so much you know because we can feel a conflict inside of us but this conflict inside has external sources very much and that doesn't solve the problem you know but like it maybe takes away a little bit of the pressure and it allows us to actually look at the source of the problem which is not so much us maybe but like the structures and that can be maybe a starting point to find our way of dealing with it mm. and i think like the podcast is also called like big career small children so Maybe not on this particular level, but like in general, we have, so like in sociology, we say that we live in times of like late modernity, yeah, that we have like modernity, like the, the era and the epoch of modernity basically started like with the industrial revolution, industrialization, liberalization, 
democratization. So like all this time, like what we know, you know, like the society. And then there was like kind of a tipping point, let's say, like in the 68 revolutions, as we say, I think you say this in English too, no? Yeah, I think so. And there was like a lot of critique against the system coming from the outside, like from the environmental activists, from a feminist activist, uh, civil rights movement in the USA, from the hippie movement. A lot of movements which basically criticize society and for being too rigid, for being not just and so on. That changed a lot. And now we live in a time where all the companies have like sustainability reports and that is not a hippie topic at all. It's like super mainstream. And we have diversity conferences and reports and so on. And also the values of the hippie movement influenced our society because the hippie movement was a lot about self-realization and about finding individual fulfillment and like thinking like I am unique And you cannot really press me into these societal norms and roles. If I'm a unique being, then I have to find my unique way and I have to experience myself in all my inner complexity because I'm a unique, complex being. This thought of this concept of self-realization and self-growth in a way has also become mainstream in our society. Some people adopted it a little bit more than others, but in general, it's a very prevalent value in our society. But what we do, in contrast to the hippies, and this is what late modernity is about, is that the solution, um, people don't look for the solution outside of society, but the narrative is that you in society, you can find the best resources and like the best environment to pursue and to reach this form of self-realization and self-growth. So we try to do what the hippies do. We try to like, as an individual, you know, really like uh, make something out of ourselves and like it bloom like a flower, you know, but inside society at the same time, earning money, having like a social reputation and recognition and a security. So it's a lot about combining like a, a bourgeois ideal with a hippie ideal and kind of merging them together. And sometimes this can work a little bit better, you know, and sometimes a little bit worse. But in general, it's kind of a paradoxical idea. It tries to merge two things which are very, very different, you know. And the point is, is that we sometimes, even if we find a balance between a job that gives us a certain degree of security and financial stability and so on, and a job which is also interesting and also has some form of like purpose and where we feel like we can grow as a person, you know, but if we find a compromise that we have the feeling that's a foul compromise. There's a foul compromise because like on both levels, it's not the optimum, you know, it's not super well paid and it's also not super interesting, you know, but like this ideal of finding something that is super well paid and super crazy interesting and like the super realization of our unique self is flawed, is flawed, is paradoxical, like it's not true, it's a lie, it's a lie, it's like super, 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 super rare that it actually comes together. You know, this is the exception, the absolute exception. Usually you have to make compromises. That is life. You have to compromise, you know? And like this ideal is a lie. Not the ideal itself, but like the narrative that we can reach both at the same time and that it all merges together in this boom concept, you know? That is a lie. 
So I think that is also something when we compromise, we have to understand that this is a necessary part of life. And it's not a flawed compromise. Be happy if you find a compromise, you know, maybe it's a really good compromise and not a foul compromise. Mm. That's a really interesting and new perspective. I haven't heard yet. What I'm hearing a little bit, I don't think this is what you mean, but I'm hearing a bit that it's okay to just not strive for the maximum purpose. I think, and you can challenge me on this, I think if you are in that type of bullshit job, I guess, yeah, then you don't have any purpose or you wouldn't feel fit in that tension moment. Let's say if you are in this sort of a bullshit job, I think there's still point in trying to strive for more purpose because life is more fun if you have meaning, for sure. Anyways, in my gut feeling, I feel that's the right thing to do. I think there is meaning in pursuing meaning. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I might cut this out. But anyways, I really think that people who want to find more purpose, I think, should be supported to do that. So um, one, would you agree with this? And two, if so, how can you, if you are in a job that is bullshit, like you described, get that increased level of meaning and just improve the compromise a bit? Yeah, I think that really depends on the individual situation. But all in all, no, definitely. So let's talk a little bit about the term bullshit job is not a term that I invented is also not a term that David Graeber invented. It's not a term that is meant to belittle other people. It's just like that David Graeber conducted like several hundreds of interviews, qualitative interviews with people who describe their jobs as bullshit themselves. You know, it's not like a, a description. Yeah, it's like a self-description in a way. And the assumption is that all these people, it's not like there's something wrong with them and they all have the wrong perspective. But if there's so many people, more than one third of the working population who perceive it this way, they cannot all be wrong. It's not like they all have to go to a therapist and like, because there's something wrong with them, you know, and with their perspective. But it's actually like, no, maybe there's a point to it, you know, maybe there are actually jobs which make it really, really difficult to find meaning in them. And of course, it can make sense. If you find yourself in such a job to look for alternatives, and I feel like it's difficult for me to, to give a general answer because it so much depends on the individual situation, you know, sometimes maybe you can stay in the position where you are, but like, think about how can I change structures in the job, you know, in my work environment. Let's say, for example, I mean, like, there's like this new work movement. I'm pretty sure it's like in the UK to, to develop like new forms of work, like more like you have like flatter hierarchies and so on, blah, blah, blah. Like the whole discourse mm -hmm. is like an international one. So maybe if you are in a position where you can contribute to the working structures around you, where you have something to say and your voice is kind of heard, maybe that can be a, an approach to actually dig in like, what are the structures here that make it so difficult to experience meaning and how can we change them? And there are already so many ideas out there. Like this whole new work idea is one symptom for widespread lack of meaning. You know, it's a symptom for a problem and the problem is a lack of meaning very often. And I think there are good ideas, but sometimes maybe you're not heard and maybe you don't have an opportunity. And sometimes the only real option you have is to change the job. That can also be, but I think it's impossible to give a general answer to this. But if you are in a leadership position, then you can contribute actually a lot to allow your team to perceive their jobs as meaningful. That is something you definitely can change. <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. So 
everybody who is listening is quite a lot of people are very senior and are key dis- decision makers. What's your the favorite idea at the moment? I'm sure you've got a thousand things that you've heard that work to increase meaning. But at this very moment, what's the favorite idea that you've come across that employers could do to change the structure and create more meaning? Hmm. I don't know if I have favorites, so I'm just going to name three. <laughs> Go okay, on. <laughs> first, we have a body. That's what I said before. I'm, I'm saying this because it refers to what we talked about before. So even if you have people who work in an office job, we have to find, like, it's good to find ways where the body is part of the job in some form. You know, because it's sometimes it's, that's also why so many people like design thinking workshops, for example. You know, you're there for one day or two days in a design thinking sprint and you're like, bam, 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 bam. You know, you're like building prototypes with your own hands and like you have like this experience of self efficacy, you know, that you're doing something, you're feeling it. So a design thinking workshop is not enough. Like, have to think about like structures like in everyday work life you know and that means despite home office and so on sometimes also to have physical meetings and to yeah i don't know it has to be applied to the individual situation another point is that it makes it so me the meaning arises very much when we work as a human being for other human beings okay it's very general but it means that I work as a human for humans, it means that I am also perceived not as a robot who does a job, you know, and I perceive myself not as a robot, as a working robot to do a job, but as a human being, as an individual, you know. Mm. I'm here with my thoughts and with my feelings and with my capabilities, you know, and I'm seen as a human and I can see myself. And I'm working not for customers who are numbers for me, you know, and I'm working not and who are just like a cow to be milked, you know, but I'm working for human beings and I'm trying to make their lives better. And when I don't have a structure that allows me this, because I am seen as a robot to milk cows, you know, then if the structure tells me this, then it's very hard to have a different mindset because then I have to work with my mindset against the structure around me. So the structure should allow me to have a mindset where I work as a human for humans. And that is also Mm. something that has to be taken into account. And another part is every job has elements of care work, you know, every job, even if you're an engineer and you're like calculating and you're building a house, whatever, you will always have elements which are connected to care, you know, maybe care for colleagues, you know, maybe you have people who live in the house later on and you provide a home for them and so on. But very often in our perspectives, we don't pay enough attention to these care elements of labor. I mean, like care work, like usual example of care work is like when you like raise children, you know, it's also like a work. A taxi driver has also care elements. And that is not about bringing a customer from A to B, but maybe talking with the customer on the way, you know, and providing a good experience. That's like the care aspect. But we don't measure the care aspect. We don't pay that care aspect and so on. And to understand that, to see in the individual situations which are care aspects of work and to strengthen them and to give them attention and to allow them to happen and to have its place, you know, and not to measure everything in KPIs, that is also another element of creating structures which allow employees to perceive their jobs as meaningful. Mm. Thank you for these very practical suggestions. You mentioned about care work being less valued 
than other work. I'm sure all the listeners will really agree with this. How do we make sure that the jobs that have a lot of meaning, especially for other people, like care work, also are those that are better paid? I mean, that is a how we can make sure that they're better paid. I mean, (laughs) that's like a very societal question, no? I mean, like, it's a a very political question, I think. I know. You can choose not to answer if you (laughs) don't. No, it's not that I choose not to answer. (laughs) But I think, I mean, if you're in the position to define the salaries for your employees, then you can contribute to a certain salary structure, which is more just, you know, than the average societal salary structure. If you're not in the position, or even if you are, then other options are like, I don't know, voting for a party that contributes to more equality, for example. But as an individual, we cannot really, that is what we can do, basically, no, we can like, it's like a political thing, we can be politically active, we can like vote and so on. But like, it's, it's a lot about creating like the structures on that level. But what you said is like, because like very often or usually you know usually we look at the unequal distribution of income from a justice perspective and rightly so but it's not the only perspective that matters because apart from justice is also which is like a a question of morality we can also see it as a question of meaning and finding meaning and a message that is implicitly communicated is that care work is worth less than other jobs, you know, because salary is a form of recognition, you know, and in English, if you, how much do you earn, you know, earning, earning mm. something, that is also, it's like merit, you know, it's like a form of like, how much did you earn from mm. a moral perspective, how much, you know, so it's not just a number, it's not just like money with which you can some, buy something, is always also a form of acknowledgement. And a bonus payment, for example, is not just a number, it's also a form of recognition. And so we are, we do have structures that basically tell us in a lot of cases that care work is not worth a lot. And that is at the same time, we know that it's so important. And this is like paradoxical. Again, we have like two, we have two messages. We have like a message that's really important and, and an impression in our life that's really important. And then we have a different one saying like, it's, it's not really important, you know, because it's not really worth to be paid a lot, you know. And that's a conflict. That's a paradox. That's like, uh, doesn't really fit together. And that mm-hmm. makes it more difficult for us to navigate because we have structures which require us to make more compromises. And we do have like a conflict between maybe, or we can have, and we have like in a lot of situations, conflicts between a more meaningful job and better paid job. But this conflict is not a law of nature, you know, it's like human made. It's Mm. like really depends Mm. on the structures that we established. And so it's not only unjust, but it's also problematic because it makes it more difficult for us to navigate through these tensions and to actually find our own role in this structure. What I would absolutely love to happen is, and I'm sure the listeners will do that, for the listeners to just ask the question, why is care work, which is so meaningful, um, less valued? And just ask it again and again and again. It's definitely part of a patriarchal system. I mean, it's one important reason Mm. is because it was like, typically conducted by women exactly exactly but i think just 
make like you say say through asking the question making yeah. sure that we know it is not normal in quotation mark for that to happen i would love to there are tons more questions on my list but unfortunately we are coming to an end so i'm going to ask you and we always end with a practical question so i'll ask you if someone is quite intrigued by trying to increase the level of meaning in their lives but it's scary and they don't have the time what what are one or two really simple things they might be able to do that take a maximum five minutes this week in order to move forward on their journey of finding the meaning of life or increasing the meaning of life? Okay, so one thing would be to do something playful, something that has no particular meaning to it, like something that doesn't serve an external meaning, but where you have like the meaning in it, you know, and that can be like painting a picture or actually playing a game and also seeing it as a game. And because like when we're children, like we do that so much, it's like one of the one of the most dominant approaches to life that we have and then we lose it more and more and more. And that's like a pity, you know, because through playfulness we experience a certain type of meaning, you know, that is also important. A meaning where we do something that doesn't have to be good for anything, you know, because it's not true, like, it's not true that everything always have to serve something, you know. <laughs> Sometimes it's just good to play. So that is, can be one element. One element can be to be aware that maybe we've, we feel like if you feel like a vacuum inside you and you feel like there's like a hole and there's something missing, not so much to try to, not so much dig into it, not so much try to focus inside, but like to meaning arises very much in our relationship to the word, you know, where we like open to the word, when we're like in a relation to it, you know. So it's a lot about, I think that we ourselves are not particularly interesting often as more like the things around us the word around us that is what matters that's what interesting you know that is where we can in the relationship to ship to it that is where we can find meaning you know i think that can also sometimes be important and also to strengthen our senses and to actually smell and hear and taste or like when you do sports to really like be in your body or when you take a bath whatever you know to feel this connection that can arise in this field. And also another element is to really listen to other people, you know, because meaning also arises through dialogue and that requires a certain attitude with which we go into an interaction, an attitude where we show ourselves and where we are like authentic, where we're honest, where we actually speak of ourselves, but also where we really listen, you know, and where we try to look at the word from the standpoint of the other person for a moment. And I think that is also something that we can do. And yeah, and also to pay a little bit more attention to the people that matter in our lives and in general to understand that every human being is like worth our attention in a way, you know, because sometimes we get lost a little bit. We have certain aims, you know, it can be a certain aim like in sports because we have like a KPI. I want to run like a marathon, for example, or we have like a financial aim. We want to have money, a career, whatever. Sometimes we lose track of what's down to earth, what's around us, you know, and that what is really worth like doing something for is in general human beings. And the marathon doesn't really care for what we do, you know. And money itself as a concept also doesn't care what we do. You know, it's like, it can only be a means to an end, but sometimes we forget that and it's not a means to an end anymore. It becomes an end in itself. And that is like a tipping point. It's a tipping point where something that actually initially was a means to an end becomes an end in itself, where we lost track of meaning a little bit. 
And to be aware of that is another element and can be another element. Those are maybe like a couple of elements which can help us to focus a little bit on what really matters. It's really thought-provoking. Thank you. And I don't feel I understand the meaning of life. But in a way, I feel really... Yeah, but we have to get rid of the formulation, the know, meaning of life. No, uh, <laughs> meaning in life and the way we can experience meaning in life. Yeah, but I feel really thought-provoked. Um, that's not a word, but that's how I feel. And I think it would not be a bad idea if more employers were thought-provoked. So kind of up for speaking at employers. And if yes, how can they get in touch with you? For example, if someone heard you and wanted to say, let's see if you can come to our away days, that's something that you sometimes do? And if yes, how can they get in touch with you? I'm always happy to talk about that. Like, unfortunately, my book is, I'm German, so it's like in German. And there are certain, it's like a project to get it translated. And maybe it will be translated, but not at this point. So it's like different things now in line. Like I'm also working on, a, on another book. They're going to be audio, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, always contact me. It's like very easy to find me on the internet. It's like Christian U-H-L-E <laughs> is my last name. <laughs> so it's like a mail at Christian-U-H-L-E.de or just like Google it. And I'm always happy to talk about it. Yeah, But like I see that I'm also going to publish something about meaning in English. But for now it's in, in German. But that's also why I was happy about your invitation to this podcast and to talk with you to maybe also get in exchange yeah, with people from the UK about these subjects, which are certainly international ones. Most definitely. So it sounds like you're up for people stalking you on LinkedIn and you know, starting a conversation. Yeah, definitely. Add me on LinkedIn and yeah, let's talk about it. I'm, I'm always happy about all kind of exchange and um, yeah, let's do it. Great. And there are more German speakers in the UK than you would think. So do you want to just say what the title of the book is exactly in case someone wants to find it and get it? Okay, ja, dann uh, für diese Person, vielen Dank fürs Zuhören. Der Titel ist uh, Wozu das alles? Eine philosophische Reise zum Sinn des Lebens bei Fischer erschienen. Hm. Brilliant. Okay, so he, just in case you thought you missed something, if you didn't understand that, Christian was telling people how to get the German book in German. It was so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for dialing in from your family holiday. And I'm really grateful to have talked to you and have a lovely rest of the week. Thank you, you too. And thanks to everyone for listening and taking the time to listen. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening today. If you haven't yet joined any of our free events or fellowship program communities, then do consider signing up to our monthly newsletter, where you'll be the first to know when spaces become available. Details on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletters. We also send out a monthly bulletin of top tips um, and fresh insights, new ideas for working parents with ambitious career dreams. At the moment, we have some free events on the website and we have one program left for 2023 for people working in the NHS and one program left for people working in all other sectors. But if you are in the NHS, you only have until 11th July to get your application in. If you work in another sector, you've got a bit more time, you can keep an eye out for applications opening in September. If you do join the fellowship community, you'll join a group of, in my view, really amazing parents who are also very very passionate about their career many of them are podcast listeners so shout out if you are listening um and they usually are well they're always people who really 
are passionate about their career, they want to progress, they want to make a difference, but also be present with their kids unapologetically. And the program has been designed by me to enable you to be, I guess, in the driving seat of creating that career um, progression that you want, that I want, so that we get more equality. Um, And also to help you create the family life that you want to give you the courage and tools to do that and um, progress your career while also protecting what's important to you through setting boundaries. 60% of the cohort who completed it last time round said they had got promoted or got more senior responsibility, for example, a board role during the course of the program, which makes me very happy because that's exactly what we need to do to get more equality in the senior leadership tables. And obviously many of them did really well because they did the program with babies on their lap. You can do it anytime between have, being pregnant or having a child up to the age of about 11. We even had one person who mentioned the word life-changing in the evaluation which made my heart jump with joy um, and made me very happy. Any questions on the fellowship programs just email me or my team. My email address is ferina at leadersplus.org.uk and I just want to give a shout out to Sam W who I think I know who you are, but I'm not 100% sure. So so Sam, I want to to say thank you for being the most recent person to leave a review. Podcasts are incredibly male-dominated. Apparently, four in five of the podcast hosts of the top charting podcasts are men. But reviews really help to grow the reach of the podcast, to grow the listener base. Also, sharing the podcast really helps. And so if you also think it would be quite good if the message in this podcast would reach more people about the fact that we should be able to progress our careers with young kids in tow. And if you think that we should have more female voices in the podcast, which is one of the fastest growing mediums right now worldwide, then you can do a simple thing of just sharing this episode with two or three friends and leaving a review. Thanks again, Sam, for your lovely comments. And thanks to you all for listening and your support. And it would be really nice to see some of you soon at our free events. And I'm sure I'll see the fellows who are listening at our events very soon. Thank you for listening and have a great week. 